So the first thing I must uh, tell you is that if um, this telephone rings while I'm talking, I, I will have to go because tonight I am the night contact. <laughs> so Also, if, uh, if there is some emergency uh, that you find yourself in, you don't have to go to the red phone. <laughs> You can just wave at me. <laughs> um, a number of years ago, I was uh, sitting in this hall during this retreat, um, and Joseph uh, gave a talk, and I can't remember what it was on. <laughs> but at the end of the talk, he just uh, gave a little list of uh, seven uh, sayings that, uh, if I remember well, he presented as uh, being some of uh, part of the Dalai Lama's uh, practice. And uh, he just uh, gave the list at the end of the, of the talk. And I, I, I really en enjoyed this list of uh, saying. And he, sh he said that they were coming from uh, Atisha's mind training, a Tibetan or Tantra teaching. And uh, this, uh, it's called the seven point mind training. Uh, in these seven points, uh, there is about 58 or so sayings or aphorism or slogans. And, um, and uh, Joseph presented only seven of the 58. And I wrote them down and I worked for them with them for a couple of years, they became like something kind of central in my practice. And so I wanted to uh, share some of the thoughts I had on them and uh, uh, pass them on to you. So I'll start by uh, um, naming them, uh, telling you the seven uh, sayings. You'll see that um, well, that's the effect they had on me. When I heard the list, there was something uh, surprising about it. Something, uh, I don't know what's the word in English, maybe quirky or some, something like a little unusual, unconventional about the sayings. I'll read them anyway. Consider all phenomena to be dreams. Be grateful to everyone. Don't be swayed by outer circumstances. Don't brood over the faults of others. Explore the nature of unborn awareness. At all times, rely on a joyful mind. Don't expect a standing ovation. <laughs> you can probably see um, what I mean by, uh, and there's so beautiful words anyway for me, who's, who's a French speaker, like swayed and brood. And there's, there's something that, that was very appealing for me. And uh, well, 
that's the way I usually get hooked in the practice is there's something appealing. I would not have started practiced Buddhism if I uh, had not gone to Thailand and there was uh, monks with shaved head and uh, designer-like li uh, robes. <laughs> <laughs> there was something that was appealing to me. That's how I got hooked to, uh, to the teaching. It's very superficial, but hey, whatever works. So when I heard these, uh, I liked them and started to think about them. Actually made a little card, like this one, and I put it next to my bed and also in my wallet. And I spend a lot of time uh, reflecting and considering them. Um, so the first one is consider all phenomena to be dreams. Something uh, poetic, uh, poetic in there. But um, the more I practice, the more for me it's becoming more, uh, not so poetic, more like uh, the truth of my experience. <coughs> As you're sitting here and you feel uh, the hardness of the, your, uh, the cushion or your legs or I don't know how to say it. Can you, can you um, see how, what ephemeral it is, this hardness? This hardness is, uh, is gone all the time. It's also always new. It's, it's, uh, it's something quite transparent. We actually experience it clearly, vividly, but we can't not actually see it or, or what own it. We can't uh, do something with it. As soon as we would stand up, it would disappear. And so this um, consider all phenomena to be dreams is pointing to this very mysterious uh, nature of experience where it's actually very much there and also very hard to to solve as a mystery this, that's how I would say this I mean I can sit here for a long time being interested in hardness what is this actual thing of hardness that is constantly gone and constantly new. This is not the same hardness of when I started talking about this uh, two minutes ago. The hardness you're experiencing now is completely new. Again and again and again. So is everything else. like the seeing, for those of you who have eyes open right now. If you're looking at me, I'm looking at you. When the mind quiets down, and you might find this in the next uh, few uh, days or week, 
you'll see that the seeing is constantly new again. I read in an old um, book from the Lady Sayada, a Burmese master from, uh, from a number of years ago when he was, I think they were saying, they were describing seeing and they were saying when there is a, such a person known as Susan and she's far away and there's a recognition of Susan. So the Susan that is the f wearing, let's say, a yellow sweater that is experienced when she's in the back of the hall and the Susan that is in front of the hall when she's reached uh, the steps here is actually a completely different object, a completely different experience. Uh, where we get caught or where the illusion of a solid Susan appears is just because there is a, a kind of continuity, a similarity in the experience. But on a very minute level, this is a brand new Susan or a brand new object that is in front of me. So what we're doing here, this uh, meditation, this attending to experience for hours and hours, is no small business. We are really uh, questioning reality in its entirety. We are questioning all assumptions that we have. For example, the assumption that we'll be sitting here still in half an hour is only an assumption. We do not know what is coming. We can assume that because we've been here before and it usually lasts 45 minutes or 60 minutes and we usually after go get something to drink before we come back for the last sit. These are just assumptions. So we live in a world that is mind-made. And so this saying is pointing to this Consider all phenomena to be dreams. So many things to say. I could do a whole talk just on this. <laughs> you would fire me. Also, what it points to, I'll finish with that, it points to the preciousness of this moment. Because it's con constantly gone, there's something very precious about what is happening right now. This has never happened before and will never happen again. And there's a lot of information in this moment. Same thing when you're sitting on the cushion during the day and you're taking in a breath or taking out a breath, there's information in there that is extremely valuable. There's this poem I really like from, uh, uh, what's his name? Reps, what's his name? Paul Reps, 
and I always forget to, I, I, I don't know where the poem is, but I know it's in here. But I, so I'm going to give you like a kind of a paraphrasing of the poem. <laughs> Forgive me, and I hope you forgive me. Uh, he says the poem is called No Same. And it goes something like this. No same sitting, no same breath, no same sucks, no same yogi in front of me, no same brushing teeth, no same grass, no same morning, no same breakfast. Whoever breaks this law will be bored. So if you're not sure about this CR uh, phenomena as a dream, I'll quote the Buddha. And he's talking about life. He says, a bubble in a stream, a flash of lightning in a summer cloud, a flickering lamp, a phantom, a dream. Don't be swayed by utter circumstances. So here I have the perfect um, little story to uh, show you uh, how several years of practice, or maybe just a few weeks of practice, uh, what it can do in terms of not being swayed by circumstances. I was again sitting here as a yogi and uh, Bhante Gunaratana was here and he was telling a story that you can actually read in one of his books. And uh, this story really had a strong impact on me in terms of the possibility, possibilities of this practice. So he said that an, not so many years ago, he was taking a plane, I think it was from uh, Los Angeles, going back to Sri Lanka to see his mom who was dying. And up in the air, the wing caught on fire. And he said that people in the plane started to panic and they were beating their breasts and, uh, and shouting. And there were all kinds of uh, panic reaction and distress, a very high, high level of anxiety in the plane. And he said that uh, his only thoughts were of uh, gratitude and an appreciation for the life he had lived and that uh, it seemed like everything was in order. It was a good time to die if that's what was going to happen. And uh, he was actually very happy to be there in the room and possibly be able to help the person next to him. And, uh, and there was great ease about it. That's how he describes it. And in the end, uh, the plane uh, did um, uh, went to uh, Hawaii to, to land. And it was not part of the plan, but, you know, safety thing. Uh, uh <laughs> <laughs> they went to, they were able to uh, land in Hawaii. And he said that uh, when they landed, this kind of uh, uh, um, uh, this thing, like a kind of, you, you slide down. It's made of, uh, it's a pneumatic or something, you know, of air. 
inflated thing just unrolled and they were invited to slide and he said he had never slide in his whole life <laughs> and that was like really an amazing opportunity for him to slide and he said he could see that nobody around was noticing that there was a slide and that they were going to slide they were just like very panicky and that he actually enjoyed really much going down the slide and he said that when you reach uh, the bottom uh, when you reach the ground there was many people and all these um, uh, um, pompiers, these uh, firemen with all their lights, there was all these lights and they were all there waiting for them and he said there was an amazing welcoming committee <laughs> and they had blankets and drinks and they were very uh, very much caring and no, wanting to know if they were fine and, and so he could receive all this attention and this love and he said that other people didn't seem to be able to appreciate the, the beautiful welcome that they were receiving. And, and so, so yes, it makes us laugh, it's beautiful, but you see what I mean about, about the amazing potential of this practice. That this situation could happen to me or you, and that we could actually enjoy life as it is be present for it, be able to attend to other, peop other uh, people around us. It's, it's very, uh, for me, very inspiring story. So don't be swayed by other circumstances. Uh, and this, this is also the whole idea of the mind training. It's a thought transformation. It's the way to use adversity uh, and, and turn it into the path. And so uh, Miyoshin talked exactly about this this morning when she said, whatever happens here, we can attend to the external, you know, uh, if there's things we can do to, to make it more easeful, if there's things that are off that we can fix, We'll do it, but anything that happens here is, uh, can be considered, uh, one way to think about it, and I like this image, is it's called the yoga of the cross. It means that there's the horizontal uh, line of our life that is unfolding, so there's the storyline of our, our life, and then something happens. Somebody dies, uh, somebody leaves us, uh, uh, we lose our job, or something happens here. Uh, somebody's making too much noise, somebody's, uh, whatever it is. Then the invitation is to go like this, very vertical, and take this exact situation and use it for the path. Use it for practice. So that's this invitation. Don't be swayed by, by circumstances. Use them. Um, one way I think about it is don't be swayed by circumstances. Sway with it. Like, learn to dance uh, with it. Even if we're, okay, we're not such great dancers, we're always going to, you know, walk on the other one's feet, and that's going to happen. I'm messing all the time, and I'm sure you do some of the time. And it's fine. We can still continue trying to learn to dance uh, 
with this this life and all all what all the different rhythm it's uh, presenting us with. I have a little story. Okay, that's my own little story uh, that might be related to this. Is uh, is a, a number of years ago. Uh, I had some. Uh, I learned that I had the, 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 the f uh, uh, illness that was potentially uh, 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 might bring death uh, pretty uh, fast or somewhat fast. And uh, and so there was a lot of stress in my life. A lot, everything was like turned upside down. All my belief and of. Uh, you know, youth and uh, longevity and uh, and strength and power and all this, and 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 uh, what happened is, uh, I, I uh, without noticing it, I was spending a lot of time thinking of my life without this problem. And even on the cushion, I was actually doing this sometimes and taking little breaks, and thinking of my life without this. And and the way I believed uh, I was using my thoughts was to give me a little break from my illness. So I would think of, oh, if I didn't have this, I would be do this kind of trip that I cannot do. And you know, it was giving me a little uh, break from my illness. And one day I just noticed this, as I, because I probably had the prior moment of mindfulness before my little fantasy. That was a cause for a further moment of mindfulness that arose. And I just caught this movement of the mind and I saw that it was actually bringing me misery. Because what was happening is there was my life that was here, and there was this other life that was here. And there was a crash between the two that my life didn't meet that idealistic life. And I saw that actually I was spending a lot of time thinking of other people's uh, life and how they their life was better because they didn't have to deal with this and, and, and that. And, and uh, I made this decision to actually uh, marry my life. Right then and there, on the cushion, the priest was there. I don't know if Joseph was the, <laughs> the minister for this ceremony, but I had this very clear intention okay, I'm going to marry my life. I'm going to stop looking at other people's life. In the morning, I'm going to wake up cherishing my life. I'm, I'm going to look at her or him right in the eye and say, I'm choosing you. You're, you're, you're my life. And at night, I'm going to also be with my life. And when I walk down the street, I'm going to be with my life. And I made this kind of vow, and it really helped me tremendously uh, learn to dance with this partner that is my life. And actually, I was thinking about this uh, tonight before the talk, and I thought, I think I need to remarry <laughs> again. <laughs> I think... <laughs> For a few weeks now, <laughs> we've been a little bit at odds. 
and I need to really stop and, and uh, you know, check in and commit again. And I actually want to do that. Uh, and it's been a number of years, and it never uh, uh, crossed my mind that I could actually marry again. You know? <laughs> but tonight, it seems like it would be a good thing to do to actually uh, recommit to this. Uh, so if you're going to get married, we'll do a group ceremony. <laughs> Don't brood over the faults of others, especially when we get on a spiritual path. This is a danger because we know what's right. We know about the perfections. You know, we know about the factors of enlightenment. We know about what's wholesome and what's unwholesome. So there's a danger here that we have to be very careful about. Uh, that could be also a good way to actually take the focus out of myself, <laughs> you know, and all the bad news that I get all the time about uh, what I find about myself. So I could start uh, brooding over the faults of others. And so this, I don't need to talk uh, for so long about it because it's self-evident, but it's a good, good reminder. Uh, use the energy, bring it back on, okay, What's in it for me here? What's, what's my side of what's going on? What can I own? Hmm? Um, there's this story uh, uh, that comes from the Buddha of uh, these two men who were about to, and you might know this story, the, the, uh, the acrobat story, where they're, they, uh, they're on a long pole and they're, they're at the top of the pole and the, the, the the chief, the main acrobat, is on the pole and he puts his apprentice on his, uh, standing up on his shoulder and they do a number. And uh, so the, the, the master, you could say, says to his apprentice, so we're going to go on the pole, you're going to take care of me, I'm going to take care of you, like this we're going to give a good show, we'll make money and we'll be safe. And the apprentice says, no, 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 master, we're going to get on the pole, I'm going to get on top of you. I'll take care of myself, you take care of yourself, we'll do a good show, we'll be safe, and we'll do a make a lot of money. And so uh, the Buddha says, well, so who's right in this story? The apprentice is right. You take care of yourself, and you let the other one take care of, you, of themselves, and like this is the best way that uh, we can end up uh, giving a good show. Something that was mentioned in this hall also was like uh, when we brood over the faults of others, let's see what's the gratification in this. Let's not miss this. So that's part of our investigation. If I, if I see that I'm... I, I'm uh, judgmental and critical and I spend a lot of time uh, rehashing something wrong that somebody else is doing, to stop and really see uh, what's in it for me here, what's the gratification. So the Buddha often said, he uses this system, he says, why am I still doing this? If I'm still doing this, it's because there's a gratification in this behavior. I have to see the gratification in it. I have, I have to see the danger of this. And that's the only way I'll find the escape. So the, the, the little pattern here is gratification, 
danger and escape. And you can use it for many other uh, things. So you see, what is the gratification? What is the danger of doing this? So the danger of brooding over others' faults is I'm not spending much time uh, working on this understanding of this being and maybe adding more trouble. And one twist I would add on this is also don't brood over your own faults also. Because there's this thing, and here when you're on, we're on retreat, uh, we might see that there's going to be uh, some life review things that happen. There's many hours on this uh, cushion and walking. And sometimes we, that's, that's a, it's a thing that might arise. You, we start seeing things that we've done uh, maybe wrongly, wrong use of speech or actions or wrong decisions that we've made. And there's something very wholesome in this, uh, and it's called spiritual remorse sometimes. So we, we acknowledge that something was done wrong and that it had an impact on ourselves and others. And then we set a new intention, not in a similar situation, to act like this again or speak like this again. We set an intention and then we move on. The danger of brooding over our own faults would be to turn this into a self thing, a selfing thing, like a guilt tripping. So it would be just more a conceit, more time about me and how I am. And, and this, this, this is not skillful. So to be aware of this, not to create so much self about this. And my little way to, to, to think about this is the thing the thing that I've, uh, that was done, that I have done, it's actually not me <coughs> who did it. Uh, let me finish before you, <laughs> you conclude anything. The person who did it was this person who had this level of wisdom that was accessible for them, and this level of greed or confusion, and they did what they did. Now this person who's sitting here has a different amount of wisdom, a different level of confusion, and different intentions also in their life. It doesn't mean that I don't take full responsibility of what happens, but I start to do a little bit of uh, anatta business on the uh, faults of the past. This is not self. This was done, there was damage, it might be possible or not to, f to, to make amends or fix. But this was not exactly me. I am changed, especially if I feel that there is remorse and a complete acknowledgement that this was not good and helpful, then there is a change in the heart. It's not the same person who was there. And one sentence that I heard Sylvia Bornstein uh, say that for me was extremely helpful was, it could not have been otherwise. The conditions were such that it could not have been otherwise. I find it extremely wise and, and, uh, and right on. To me, it's a very important thing that it, it's very central. It could not have been otherwise. The conditions were such that it could not have been otherwise. Same for me 
Same for the other one. So maybe it has something for you in there also that you can use. Be grateful to everyone. That is not an easy one. But it's the same vein of don't brood over the faults of others. So there's an old wise Tibetan person whose name I forgot. I have a lot of I have a lot to learn. I'm in training. <laughs> so the quotation I get like <laughs> very low <laughs> marks. <laughs> oh, it's here. <laughs> so Bodhi Charya Bhattara said the state of Buddhahood depends on beings and the Buddha equally. By what tradition is it then that, the, that only the Buddha, but not beings, are revered? I like that. That's another twist. twist. These, these, for me, like these uh, sayings and, like, and this little quote here, they're like kind of uh, brain hackers and, and, uh, or koans. They, they put a little spin in my, uh, they create a little gap in my brain. Uh, so all beings are very important, as important as the Buddha for awakening. Why is it that we re revere only the Buddha? Why don't we revere everybody else? Well, that's the kind of invitation of this, uh, this saying, be grateful to everyone. Uh, your enemy, the, your difficult case, or however you want to call it. Pema Chodron says something very nice. She says, so this is the kind of person who gets in your house, they come through the door, they go straight in the basement, they look around, they touch everything, and then they come up with this and they say, is this yours? Your friends don't do that. <laughs> Unless they're really good friends. And you might lose track that they're friends for a while. <laughs> you know? But, um, but this power that the, uh, a, 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 a person, a difficult person, has to show us where we uh, need to develop patience, where, where uh, that uh, anger is still arising in this being, that uh, envy, that uh, whatever it is that is, uh, that is arising from a difficult situation. So uh, only your uh, teachers can reveal these to you or uh, people in cir uh, circumstances that are difficult. Uh, at St. Quentin Prison. I don't know if it still exists because heard, I've heard this story. I'm, all like, I'm more like a, a, a coordinator, it seems, than a, 
wannabe Dharma teacher. Because <laughs> it's all these stories that I've heard that touched me, and I'm just bringing them uh, to you because they, they add some importance for me and on my path. And they have some importance for me. So uh, I heard this, um, this report of a practice that there was on the, on the death row at the St. Quentin prison in the Bay Area. And so this group of, um, of practitioners were called uh, those who have left without leaving, because some of them had been on the death row for a very long time. And uh, their practice was to see uh, there just three things they were doing. They were saying perfection in everyone and every situation. They were uh, practicing being grateful for every situation and every person. And they also uh, wanted to see a teacher. That's what I've just, just been talking about. But So they had this little phrase that they used uh, that include these three concepts. To this perfect teacher, thank you. Very short, but there's the three things in it. To this perfect teacher, thank you. So when I'm faced with a situation that I don't like, um, rejecting, or a person, if I uh, stop, I'm able to stop and say, to this perfect teacher, thank you, it opens a world of possibility. I'm entering a different uh, a kind of unknown. Okay, so I don't know anymore because my first belief is that this is in my way and this doesn't work. But then if I say to this perfect teacher, thank you, there's a kind of, again, something in the brain is like, okay, let me listen. Let me be very uh, attentive here because there is something in here for me. It's kind of shocking. That's what I like about it. Explore the nature of unborn awareness. So this one uh, I found uh, intimidating for a long time. Felt it was for more like real yogis. You know, that's the serious stuff now we're getting into, you know. Unborn awareness. So, um, what I have noticed is that as we practice, um, what happens is, uh, for example, I have a knee pain, and so uh, I bring my attention to the knee pain, and with time, I'm able to see that, okay, there is the, the actual physical sensation, the knee pain, and then the reaction that I have to it, the fear, the projection, uh, the rest of the tightening of the body around this pain, and it's bearable, but if it gets more, or am I hurting myself? So with time, I start to split the experience into, uh, with my mindfulness, I go from pain, 
to there is there is physical pain and there's mental uh, reaction. There's a reactivity. So I split these two. And then further on on this path, what we are invited to do, it's already talked about in the hall here, is take one of the two, the reactivity or the pain in the knee, let's take the pain in the knee, the actual physical sensation that at some point we might not even want to call pain anymore, but just like something very strong, uh, pulsating, tingling, uh, radiating uh, with intensity. So we start to, uh, we're invited to be aware of this and to split this also in two. So there are the, there's the object, the sensation that we feel, and then the knowing part of the experience. And so that's a new little split that we were able to do. So we're able to uh, know the phenomena, the experience, and also know the knowing quality of the mind. So that's like the way in this unborn awareness. And then once we touch this, we start to see that this uh, awareness is actually untouched by what is happening. Sometimes it's described as mirror, like a mirror. It's only reflect uh, what's happening. It's un it's untouched, and so we know that this we see that this knowing quality of uh, strong sensation in the knee is the same knowing quality that knows reactivity, that knows calm. Every time we do a split of an object with the mind that knows it, we're able to, to see that this knowing quality has no color, no shape, no form. It's just a pure knowing. And so explore the nature of unborn awareness kind of a one way into this uh, thing. We can also just right now think, so we're here, conscious of something that is going on, either what is being <laughs> said or sensation in the body or, so this knowing quality that is present right now. Does it have a history? Was it, does it measure some five feet nine or was it, uh, did it study something at school? Does it have a job? It just knows. Even this knowing quality that, that is in here now, looking this way, 
is it really different from this knowing quality that is behind these two eyes looking in this direction? Is that really something personal? The interpretation, the perception, the conception, the conceiving around the experience is one thing that is personal. We have different perception of what's going on. For some it's interesting, for some it's boring, for some it's scary, for some, you know. This is, is particular stories, but the knowing of what is going on is, is not personal. It's public property. I think I heard somebody say. So uh, I'm just going to make a link. I'm, I, you'll, f you'll, you'll, you'll make the link. I won't. <laughs> I'm just going to say these words. Uh, I heard once Gilles Franzdahl. He was saying, uh, when, when we talk about liberation, it's not you who's going to be liberated or free. It's not you. It's everything else. Where's the link? I can't explain it. I know there is a link in there somewhere. That's your koan. Everybody, everything's going to be free. There's not going to be any owning, any uh, preference, any controlling, any opinions, any positioning. There's going to be experience, the knowing of it, and then appropriate response. At all times, rely on a joyful mind. Just the possibility of this uh, phrase, just that it would be actually possible to at all times rely on a joyful mind is, uh, is mind-buckling or um, Yesterday, I th uh, was it yesterday that uh, Rebecca talked? Yes. And she talked about uh, the Buddha when he was, uh, he had this memory. After having done a lot of ascetic practices, uh, sitting on beds of nails and eating very little every day, and he had this memory of his childhood. You remember? She uh, told us this story that we, many of us know. And so for him, that was uh, how he found the middle path. That was the beginning of the middle path, where he found that there was uh, this path uh, did allow for uh, pleasantness. Because in the ascetic practice, it was the, the belief was pretty much that uh, uh, you 
needed to uh, have a lot of unpleasant experience to uh, use all your bad karma and be freed in this way. So pleasantness was not welcome. And, uh, and his discovery was that, no, there was wholesome, uh, pleasant sensations that were possible. And that there was a lot of space on this path uh, for uh, the bright, the light. Uh, and we end up with what? All these beautiful uh, perfections that are like generosity, uh, um, joyful interest in the seven factors of enlightenment, uh, uh, pity, or rapture, uh, and calm and concentration and there's, the, uh, there's many, uh, many, many, a lot of space for beauty and ease and well-being on this path. So to remember this is very important, especially when we're embarking on a three, six weeks or three month retreat that uh, ease and joy are welcome on this path. Not only are they welcome, they are essential. And so, uh, I would like to invite in this hall playfulness. Uh, you know, as we practice, there's a lot of trial and error. We have to try stuff and, and find out that it doesn't work and try something else. And, and there's a lot of, so, uh, so this is talking about creativity and playfulness and, and lightness also knowing that we're going to make several errors every day, you know, we, we can start to relax and, uh, you know, have a curious mind that, that doesn't mind uh, going in wrong direction for a while and doesn't mind trying stuff, is curious about making uh, little tryouts, you know, let me try this for a while. And so, um, and also, uh, this uh, at all time rely on a joyful mind is also a way that we can uh, uh, gauge uh, some of the benefits of our practice over years not every day but over years we can see that if there is a joy in, in some difficult circumstances or somewhat difficult circumstances we can gauge and see that's a way we can look okay so i'm more uh, I'm light, a little bit lighter. Uh, I'm not overwhelmed by all situations all the time, you know. So that's a way we can see uh, we can see how our practice is developing. And rely on a joyful mind. Also, uh, the one thing I'd like to say just tonight is is. Uh, yeah, so there's this invitation to lighten up. It's not an order, and it's not always possible, but there's places where we can lighten up. And, uh, you know, this idea that we have sometimes of being a good yogi, we can certainly lighten up on this. <laughs> Let's all agree to lighten up on this. You know, we all have really clear intention to... to to reduce the amount of confusion in our lives. We're all putting a lot of hours, so there's no need to add anything extra 
you know, we all have uh, met the minimum requirement already. <laughs> And the last one is don't expect a standing ovation. <laughs> and uh, my little twist on it is give yourself one. <laughs> <laughs> so it is good uh, to reflect at the end of the day maybe, or sometimes during the day, about the good uh, work that we're doing, having appreciation for ourselves. Uh, knowing that we, uh, you know, giving ourselves credit and so, and, 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 and stopping to actually do it, saying, I have put a lot of hours today, I've, I've, I've sat with difficult, uh, uh, in difficult conditions, or I kept going when, uh, when uh, I wanted to stop, you know, and, and to really appreciate, especially I think can be sweet at the end of the day, saying this, this being is not giving up, you know. This being is working hard and is, is very attentive to how to do this in the best uh, way, in the most skillful way. <coughs> and also I think the teaching of uh, don't, don't uh, expect a standing ovation is to maybe place the attention again on our intention, not on the fruit, not on the recognition, but really what is the intention here. It's like not going towards the conclusion, but going to uh, bring the attention from the source. What is the source of all this that I'm, I'm doing here? It's the intention uh, to... Uh, whatever your intention you named at the beginning of the retreat. So bringing back the uh, attention on this, the source of uh, why you're here and what, what, uh, what you're, you, why you want to put forth so much uh, effort and care in what you're doing. And also maybe it's pointing to uh, not uh, reducing what we're doing, not making it small by wanting somebody to, s to, to acknowledge, oh, you're working hard, not, not, not reducing such amazing effort to just some kind of acknowledgement. It's much, much bigger than this, what we're doing. and to have a lot of uh, respect for that and not fall into a small mind that just wants uh, appreciation, not, not uh, take out the purity of what we're doing. So all these uh, sayings, I'll put them uh, on the board you're interested in them, you'll be able to copy them. Um, I 
Oh, on the last one, the, I, I had a quote from Pema Children. She said, that's very interesting. If you think that just by doing your practice, you, uh, I'll start again. If you think that just by doing your practice, you are going to feel good about yourself and you are going to be thanked right and left, no, that won't happen. I like this part. If you're, you think that just by doing your practice, you're going to feel good about yourself, it's not going to happen. That's interesting, no? Like we might have this secret wish that we're... But this path is uh, very humbling, as you know. Every day, we almost, we find out more bad news. <laughs> And if we truly want uh, uh, the heart's release, it means this heart is going to be exposed uh, to our own side, mainly here in this retreat. You know? And the confusion is going to be exposed, and all the mixed intentions. And, and, and so I think it's important to know that we're, n we're not going to feel good about ourselves right away. Okay, so now you can close your eyes and I'm going to finish with a beautiful poem that has some length to it. So it's called Free and Easy, a spontaneous Vajra song by Venerable Lama Gendun Rinpoche. Happiness cannot be found through great effort and willpower, but it is already present in open relaxation and letting go. Don't strain yourself. There is nothing to do or undo. Whatever momentarily arises in the body-mind has no real importance at all has little reality whatsoever. Why identify with and become attached to it, passing judgment upon it and ourselves? Far better to simply let the entire game happen on its own, springing up and falling back like waves without changing or manipulating anything and notice how ev everything vanishes and reappears magically, again and again, time without end. Only our searching for happiness prevents us from seeing it. It's like a vivid rainbow which you pursue without ever catching, or a dog chasing its own tail. Although peace and happiness do not exist as an actual thing or place. It is always available and accompanies you every instant. Don't believe in the reality of good and bad experiences. They are today's ephemeral weather, like rainbows in the sky. Wanting to grasp 
the ungraspable, you exhaust yourself in vain. As soon as you open and relax this tight fist of grasping, infinite space is there, open, inviting and comfortable. Make use of this spaciousness, this freedom and natural ease. Don't search any further, looking for the great awakened elephant who is already resting quietly at home in front of your own hearth. Nothing to do or undo, nothing to force, nothing to want, and nothing missing. Emaho, marvelous, everything happens by itself. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.